bumping. That means it's time, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We are so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week Mac Weldon Blue Apron and Gamefly they make the show possible bringing it to you DLC of course the show all about games and their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice luck and cardboard and I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who still believes in magic, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. This is a, a weird thing, because not everyone can do this, but if you have the opportunity to see magic with Jeff Kanata, do it. It makes it, like, I love magic, but magic with Jeff is a hundred times he's he squeals he gets giddy <laughs> if he gets called up on stage which apparently always happens he looks like a plant because he's so presentational with everything <laughs> the show was great but you were the best part of it sir <laughs> christian and i and our and our lovely wives went and saw magic this weekend and uh it was great man i, I yeah i got i got pulled up on stage and uh i always want to be like the best person for them <laughs> i just want to look be so a, fake <laughs> on my best behavior you know i don't some people go up there and try to mess mess it up or whatever i just, I just want to be exactly what they're hoping for <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh we got a lot of video game talk to get through today and we have an awesome guest to do it with you know the dlc is always your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week dlc stands for downright likable confection because we have the cynical brit himself total biscuit is with us for the first time hello total biscuit Hello, Jeff. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for the wonderfully professional introduction, something I'm very much not used to in the, <laughs> right, let's just say the run of podcasts that I'm usually involved in. <laughs> well, we'll see if we can maintain our professionality. Well, you know, it's a declining slope from here on out, but uh, I appreciate you being with us. Um, we got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about this week, some great games and some interesting news. So let's get right to it. Uh, we'll start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Great group of people there. You can always submit stories, talk about stories, talk about the episodes, whatever you want to do. Cool folks hanging out. Um, TB, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Ooh, that's an interesting one indeed. I think a lot of the usual controversy that tends to arrive on a year-to-year basis has managed to drop itself on our doorstep this week, however, since we've got some official confirmation about this year's rendition of Call of Duty. That being mm. the confirmation of the World War II setting, the announcement of a reveal coming in the next couple of days, that being on April the 26th. It's going to be Sledgehammer heading it up this time around. And sparse details otherwise, outside of perhaps what we would have expected, Normandy D-Day landing being portrayed for perhaps the 50th time in video <laughs> game history and all that sort of thing. A standalone co-op story will also be thrown into the mix, as well as the multiplayer, which will be interesting to see what they decide to do with that since we've had about four games worth of jetpacks 
<laughs> yeah, I'm very curious. You know, in a in a slippery slope that they've gotten to with uh, fast running and wall running and and double jumping and you know very arcadey multiplayer. How do you force that community to take a step back and say, okay, we're in World War II now, where human beings were human? Um, that's going to be, I think, an adjustment. But of course, this is back to the roots of what Call of Duty was. It originally was that kind of a an answer to Medal of Honor back in the early 2000s. And um, it really was centered on creating the, you know, the experience of the greatest generation. And the the modern warfare and the infinite warfares have, have spun it off in a completely different direction. But I'm wondering what you think of uh, of returning to its roots. Are you excited for a World War II setting for Call of Duty? I don't want to say I'm necessarily excited. I think there's a lot of room in that particular space for creativity, but I don't think that Call of Duty is necessarily the franchise to bring that degree of creativity to it. Mm. We've already seen perhaps just how mundane a very interesting setting like World War One can be made when DICE decides to essentially make it World War Two in a slightly <laughs> rustier skin. <laughs> and I am not 100% convinced that we'll see... Uh, truly interesting exploration of World War II. And honestly, the original Call of Duty was so very, very good at that, particularly when it came to hitting the beats of various famous war movies. Hmm. A lot of material from Enemy at the Gates in the original Call of Duty, Bridge right. Too Far, and a few other classic war movies. Saving Private Ryan, of course. Uh, indeed, yeah. Essentially, I mean... I wouldn't say they were inspired as much as we straight up ripped this from the movie, <laughs> right. put it into a video game. But at the time, there was nothing that immersive. I recall when Call of Duty first came out, playing it on my PC with a 5.1 system and ble being blown away. I'd never experienced sound design like that in a game before. And despite how scripted it was, it didn't matter. The fantasy, the immersion into that battlefield was so far beyond anything else that had really come before that that's what made the game stand apart yeah. but these days that's not really what defines call of duty as a series the single player is something of a throwaway it's expected but never necessarily exceptional the multiplayer is the big selling point and it will be interesting to see that go back to the closer to the boots on the ground sort of approach and who will receive that well and who won't yeah, uh, I think people don't remember well the 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 uproar that happened when they announced Call of Duty was going to go into modern times, and people were like, "Well, that even worked. Yeah. This is a World War II series. You're ruining it." Uh, and it's it's funny that now we're back in the the other other way around. Christian, what do you think about this? I, I personally am excited for a standalone co-op campaign. I think that sounds really cool. It's not just play through the single player with a buddy. It's here's a whole different co-op campaign, which I think leads to the fantasy of like Band of Brothers style camaraderie in World War II. Are you excited for this or do you think that there you know, isn't much new ground to be tread in this milieu? I think it's easy to pile on, you know, the annual Call of Duty release, but there's a lot of content on that disc, or it's not really on the disc, You and then you download the rest of the content. What I'm saying is, though, but for your money, there's a lot there, whether or not it's for Absolutely. you and you and you like it, you know, I can't, I can't argue that for you. But 
you know, maybe the campaign's only four hours long. Okay, fine. But then you're going to have a standalone co-op campaign. That's another little chunk. And then there's the multiplayer. And then is there going to be some variation of zombies again or whatever that is? So I think for fans of the series, I think it's easy to be excited about it again. And in, in World War II games have this nostalgia to them now because it's either the games that when you were really little you saw maybe your older sibling playing or the big kids at school and you weren't quite allowed to play it yet you know it's like the thing that you heard about before maybe you were gaming and now this is your turn to go through it because we're all older fellows (laughs) and it's Mm -hmm. like oh halo of course halo is going to be huge or whatever but most not i want to say most a lot of people playing video games now you know weren't playing video games when Halo 1 came out or when Call of Duty 2 came out. And so this is their chance to have that epic World War II experience. And I think even if it's, you know, rehashing some of the same battles done with today's technology and maybe from someone five meters down the beach, you know, you can still have an interesting and compelling story. I think Sledgehammer's done great work with the franchise. I remember before, it's it's like everything with this franchise, right? When something new comes in, it's like, oh, this is going to be the worst. Black Ops, this is never going to, Black Ops is the only way that works. And then it's like, oh, World War Two again, they're never going to pull this off. I, I, I have faith in them that they're going to pull it off. I I imagine it will be uh, a pretty solid game. The, the, the thing that they need to hammer out is that multiplayer because year after year, that's the thing that you know sinks or swims in terms of longevity for for each of these releases. And last year's game, I loved the single player, but the big multiplayer fans, you know, didn't like it. And I, I think you you hit it on the head, Jeff. Like, how do you scale back that movement and momentum for people that now have had four years of wall running and double jumping to? You're back in the trenches. And I, I don't know how they're going to do that. Maybe there will be a future mode in multiplayer. Like these games never have to gel, you know, but yeah, modes, yeah. so we'll it's see. interesting that, um, that Sledgehammer is the one in control of this because their last game, of course, was Advanced Warfare, which I praise to the high heavens for really taking risks with the movement system. It was the most advanced movement system Call of Duty's ever done, and they've scaled back on that over the last couple of de- games, particularly because console multiplayer gamers had some complaints about how difficult it was to constantly move in the most efficient way possible. You had a jump jet with almost zero cooldown. You had air dashes with controllable direction, as well as wall running, sliding, and everything else. That, to me, says an old-school Tribes player, was phenomenal. I was extremely entertained by that i think it was the best movement system they've ever done but over the last couple of games they've scaled it back a bit because yeah some people didn't like that and now the studio responsible for the most advanced movement system is going back to an era where they really shouldn't be able to do any of that Hmm. interesting yeah it's gonna be it's really all about is the community can embrace it because it seems like the community just decided they didn't want advanced warfare. They didn't want – or excuse me, infinite warfare. They didn't want the the future uh, and for whatever reason. Um, I well, some of that, that too cool. though was an intricacies that you or I didn't know or experience because – but it was Very kind true. of in the leveling and the microtransactions or the perceived you know value of how your, your rewards for playtime that – at least, Jeff, you and I, we're not in the scene enough to know, oh, this is that different. Right. But I think that was a big pushback, too, in the yeah. maps, not feeling as um, fun or efficient or have the sight lines and stuff like that. Like, there's a community that knows this stuff, yeah. and I'm not it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not either. But it's interesting to see from the outside the complaints that come from that group of people and what the competitive Call of Duty community wants versus what the more casual Call of Duty community would want, which is a market that represents untold millions of people. 
Evidently, we did see a drop in sales around Infinite Warfare. To some extent, that was a shame. I think it was the best campaign they've done in ages, honestly, and that comes from somebody that doesn't generally enjoy Call of Duty campaigns, simply because they're very short, very scripted, and compared to something amazing like Doom or Wolfenstein The New Order, it's hard to put Call of Duty up against that and say that it's worth playing. But their concerns about the multiplayer were completely different to mine, they were talking about things like, say, there was an in-depth crafting system in the multiplayer aspect of Infinite Warfare that I didn't even touch. But yeah. that was an interesting piece of innovation that obviously split the player base down the middle as to whether they wanted it or not. And then perhaps you have this lapsed player base that would come back for a more classic Call of Duty experience, as opposed to the one that buys it on a year-to-year. Yeah. Well, we'll know more on Wednesday, and we'll be talking about it again next week, I'm sure. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Well, so last week or was it two weeks ago, I got to pay for my daughter's college with uh, the discontinuation. It, was, it of, seems uh, longer ago, but it was just last week. It was just last week, right? Yeah. Well, you haven't been able to find them for longer than that. <laughs> oh, the, it's the mysterious Ark of the Covenant, also known as the NES <laughs> Classic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's harder to find, I think, even than, than the Ark. Supposedly, but there now, were ones. That, there were some at Best Buy this morning. That uh, yeah, were yeah. you willing to play uh, Battle Royale to get one? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh the rumor is now i think this is out of uh Eurogamer, and you know they've they've had some pretty legit leaks and rumors come through so it's not as if it's like from fansite geocities dot one uh but the rumor is the super nintendo mini is launching this holiday which to me is exciting because it's one of my favorite consoles of all time but how are you going to launch this thing on the heels of this other thing that people weren't able to get and is currently, I think, on eBay for 250 bucks? Like, More than that, even. Th- it's mind-boggling, right? Like, when are, <laughs> like the attraction to resellers, res- resellers, scalpers. I tried to combine those two words into resellers. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I don't know how Nintendo in good conscience puts this thing out and how anyone's going to be able to get one. And I'm so excited, but I'm so scared, guys. I'm so scared. I mean, no, Christian, it's an assumption that they have a conscience. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and, you know, Nintendo started as a collectibles company, right? They know how to create demand for collectibles. Uh, and I don't think that it's lost on them that the scarcity of the NES is the perfect advertisement for the SNES Mini. Uh, and maybe I report that I'm already in line for one. I'm oh, doing good. this from, Reporting from the line. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm much more excited about this than I ever was for the NES mini. I just have much more affinity for the 16 bit era and for the super Nintendo as a console. I think it is one of the greatest libraries of any console ever. And, uh, no they doubt. really can do some fun stuff with this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it is it, are you going to have more than 15 of them nationwide? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, it's it's a good question, isn't it? Are they even going to be able to keep up with Switch demand by then? The rumors were that the NES Classic was discontinued because they needed the production space on the production lines to build more Switches. Whether that's true or not, who really knows? But if you're going to put a big push out for Christmas for the Switch, which one assumes that you are, you're going to need all hands on deck for that. But then you're also throwing out a mini Super Nintendo as well around that time. I can't be the only one to believe that Nintendo might not be up to the task of making sure that those are properly stocked. And I think you hit it right on the head by saying that there is an affinity for the 16-bit era for a very good reason. The games were better. It's as simple as that. If you ask me 
Are there 30 NES games that you would sit down and willingly play right now if not compelled by another person to do so? The answer that I would have would be no. But there are definitely 30 or even more besides Super Nintendo games that I'd willingly play now, especially if they happen to get something absolutely killer onto that, like Super Mario RPG, which I imagine would be licensing hell, but (laughs) they managed to get some non-Nintendo IP onto the NES Classic. You know, if they got just one really great title onto the Super NES Classic, or whatever they're calling it, the Super NES Mini, it would be a massive seller, no doubt. I think it's going to be a massive seller either way. It doesn't even matter what they put on. They put on Super Mario World, it'll be a massive seller. It's a great game. It's a great game! Fortune tellers here, we're going to look into our crystal balls and say, one, does it come out holiday 2017, and two... What is its MSRP? Not what will you need to pay to get one. What is the retail price for one of these? The NES Mini was 60 bucks. So TB1, does this come out holiday 2017? And if so, what is its retail price? I'll say yes, it does, because Nintendo has not demonstrated the capability for common sense over the last few years. So yes, it will come out at that time. And I'm thinking ninety nine ninety nine for something oh, like interesting. that. Yeah. A little bit more expensive. I think, that's, I think there's a two pretty solid predictions. I, I think it will come out this holiday if you define come out as a few people will be able to get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like one is released. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. By the strict definition of the word coming out, yes. <laughs> and I do think it will be more expensive than the NES Classic. Uh, I think 100 bucks is probably pretty right on. Um, maybe 80 uh, if, if, if they're being generous. But it seems like they, you know, they realize they could charge more for these things. They than absolutely well. can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they could go 150, but then it's like, at what point do they encroach on this? It, it, I just feel like this is a year they don't need it. Last year, it kind of made sense. The Wii U was, you know, done. The Switch wasn't quite out yet. This year, Mario should be coming out, hopefully. Um, Switches are still relatively hard to find. Zelda's still an incredible game that not everybody's played, even though more people own Zelda than own Switches. <laughs> um, I just part of me and i have a pretty good prediction record going so i'm hesitant to say it i'm i'm gonna go out on the limit this doesn't come out this year Mm. um and i think i I think they're gonna hold off on it maybe it's ready maybe they had it ready to go in case the switch kind of tanked but i'm gonna my my guess is it doesn't come out but if it does yeah i mean it's that hundred dollar price point right it has to be more than the other one but that's still it's gonna fly off shelves if it comes out i don't have any doubt about that I want to tell you guys, because uh, the Full Throttle uh, um, remaster came out this week, I was kind of digging through my old uh, files looking for my old uh, reviews of games because I reviewed Full Throttle back in the day, in the in the 90s, when I was a, like, 14-year-old uh, video game reviewer for the newspaper. Um, and I found my old review. I didn't find Full Throttle, sadly, but I found my review of ActRaiser. Oh, which my. I gave a 9 out of 10. And uh, it makes me want an Act Razor for this thing. But you need to put Act Razor on the Super Nintendo. It was such a great game. That game, that <laughs> I, game. It's been a long time since I played that one, but it had some incredibly unique ideas. It was sort of back in the time, especially with Squeenix, where they were. They weren't not... Squeenix yet. They were no, just. No, they weren't. Yeah, then they weren't concerned about your petty concepts like genres. They just (laughs) took a bunch of mechanics and themes that they thought would be cool and threw them together. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Yeah. 
It was That's e- what, Enix had not been purchased by Square yet, so it was just yeah. Enix. <laughs> I think the golden age of of gaming. Don't get me wrong; I love this year and last year, but like there was there was that era of gaming where I do feel like it was a bunch of you know kids sitting around a boardroom being like, "Okay, what what about this? A huge sword? Do it! Uh, what should the hair be like? We have ten options." purple one uh how do they get around i don't know motorcycles check <laughs> yeah <laughs> there was whatever are there dragons in this world of course there are dragons don't be an idiot bart <laughs> uh awesome um so my story of the week is uh this interesting thing that valve is doing with dota 2 where they're trying to curb smurfing uh, on that game the smurfing is the practice of people uh, creating new accounts, even though they have a lot of experience playing a game, but creating new accounts so that the game thinks that they are new players, and then they can get into matchmaking games and ranked play against uh, lower skilled players because I they have high that. skill. What's that? I don't get that. I mean, I I understand the thing. I don't get why someone would do that. So <laughs> that they can school people. So they can be. Uh, it's it's kind of cheating, right? It's it's saying I'm awesome. The game the game knows I'm awesome. But I can trick the game into thinking I'm not awesome so I can play people much lower skill level. It's like going to the kindergarten. It's Billy Madison. Yes. Yeah. It's going to the kindergarten and challenging the kids to game of basketball. You know, that's it's what bizarre. It, yeah. There's a, there's a couple of legitimate reasons that have been bandied around for doing it. And they're fairly situational ones. In the case of a very high-level player, especially one that happens to be playing on a pro esports team, the queuing times for those of similar MMR ranking are absurdly high, to the point where if somebody just wants to play a pickup game of Dota and you happen to be that good, I hope you're ready to wait in a queue for two hours. And at that point, they'll often run a smurf. League of Legends has a similar problem. I believe Counter-Strike has a similar issue, but perhaps less terrible, simply because of the length of the matches. But I've heard of pro players running smurfs for that reason also they would run smurfs to play with say followers and fans on streams right because of course you don't want to be 8k mmr and then drag <laughs> like B- billy just got his new dota he wants to <laughs> play with his favorite player and it just gets destroyed to the point where his mortal soul has been expunged from this realm uh, there are there's a couple of legit reasons you know another one being that maybe you do feel like you're being put up against players who are just way better than you. You've been maybe put into a bracket that you're uncomfortable playing in, and rather than waiting for the system to figure it out, you'll start a new account and hope that you get put in with guys that are closer to your skill range a little bit quicker. But for the most part, you are right. It is going to the kids' basketball court as a six foot eight year old you know amateur athlete and just schooling them on it it's, well, it's I, not I a have, good practice i have the the opposite uh inclination because I, I play a lot of heroes of the storm and i feel like my mmr is a lot lower than it would be if i started today and i feel like if i started a fresh smurf account i would actually get placed get ranked higher than i it's entirely possible so anyway the, the news story here is that valve wants to uh, reduce the behavior and uh in doing so or in, in their attempt to do so, is to uh, require ranked players to register their account with a unique telephone number. Mm-hmm. So that, theoretically, you can only have one account per person, for per telephone number. Per burner phone. Yeah. Well, but, well, yeah, I guess burner phone would be, would be untraceable. But they, there's some weird thing in this story that blows me away, that they say um, online phones like, uh, like Google Voice will not be 
allowed? Like, how do they know? I guess there's a range of numbers that Google uses? I believe that's how it works, yeah. If I recall correctly, it's a similar situation with Skype when you get a Skype-in number. looks very similar to a regular phone number, but I think they bought certain blocks of numbers to use, Ah. especially bearing in mind that those numbers disappear and get reassigned all the time because of people deciding, hey, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to cancel my sub. So I imagine they know what ranges they are and they detect them that way. The issue more so than anything is not burner phones, but burner SIMs, particularly in countries where a lot of phones are driven from SIM. The US, less so, I would say. Most phones these days maybe have SIM support, but I know a few years ago they didn't. You you guys weren't able to just swap a SIM card around. But in a lot of European countries and South American countries, Latin countries, swapping a SIM card, that's a $2 job. And you can do it very quickly, change your number very quickly. But honestly, the point of this is not to stop it entirely. There's no one-stop solution to everything when it comes to this kind of cheating. They want to make it just difficult enough that the majority of people won't bother. Yeah, and then Valve acknowledges that too. They said they just want to add enough friction to reduce the the activity. My question to you guys is, and TB, why don't you hit this first? Do you think this is a positive thing? Do you think that these kinds of um, proactive measures are good for the gaming community? I think so. I think that smurfing in general as a practice is not something that is generally considered a good thing. There's a lot of complaining about that. It adds a great deal to the negativity and perceived negativity of a games community like that. It may be less of a problem than it actually is, but if the perception of that community is that smurfing is a major issue and it's actually directly affecting their enjoyment of the game, then obviously their player retention is going to go down. So taking any sort of proactive approach, a very public proactive approach against it, is more of reassurance for the player base, I think, more so than it is a legitimate way of getting rid of all smurfs overnight yeah yeah what about you christian you get a feeling about this yeah i mean i think that's a great point i talked about it on a a, when i was stream. i don't think it's archived anywhere but um the idea of the other i think in video games it's such an interesting microcosm of othering people where when you're playing a game and if you're getting dominated it's so easy to just make excuses or reasons for why oh they're cheating there's there's no way no no one can hit it no one can hit a shot from that oh cheat cheat oh definitely a a smurf account we got we're getting smurfed guys we're getting smurfed over here and not just oh they were better than me and and i'm not saying that cheating doesn't happen and that smurfing doesn't happen but i think your point to just being public about it it's like hey we're trying we're gonna do this we're gonna do this we're gonna do this because you know, it might be a huge problem, but if it's perceived as a huge problem, like TB said, that that is the bigger issue because then that's the news story that, you know, Kotaku runs or whatever, where, you know, any Polygon, whatever, whatever website's like, it's not oh. Even, it's not even news. It's just sort of like general psychology of the average gamer. I think you hit the nail on the head there of they're just – you just get angrier quicker because you feel like yes. you are not playing on an evil, even playing field. Yeah, right. and a lot of this stuff is obfuscated in video games for – legitimate reasons dota has taken steps towards transparency with things like making your mmr a publicly available statistic something that you can very clearly see right off the bat a lot of games don't do that yeah they hide the mmr yeah they don't and as a result i've heard a lot of people complaining including people that uh, I work with on a regular basis. Jesse Cox cannot stop complaining about matchmaking in Heroes of the Storm. He'll right. come into our little Skype group after a 40-minute game. He's like, I need to vent about this Heroes of the Storm game. Good <laughs> Lord, these guys were idiots. How is this possible that I'm being matchmade with these people? This system is terrible. It's garbage. Everything's broken. Christian's never heard me do that. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Why would he? That would never happen. But it is, 
Transparency is a good way to going to some extent to try and eliminate that problem. You, you take away the imperfect uh, asymmetry of information and you take away excuses in the process. Yeah, and I think that it would be a cool thing if this is caught on and, and permeated into other games. I, I, I think it, it shows that they care. And I think that's, that's yeah. you know, goes a long way in and of itself. I would like to say quickly, though, that I just want to point out that I've actually never been beaten by anyone who wasn't cheating in any game. <laughs> I, I still am the best. You know, everybody that's beat me in Street Fighter, there's an asterisk by their name. Um, Evo, I'm still the current reigning champ. So come at me. Just don't cheat, dude. Just don't cheat. Uh, we got a lot of games to talk about coming up in the playlist, but I do want to thank our first sponsor, which is Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is the place to acquire good basics. Everybody needs this stuff, but too often it's the stuff you think about least. You go to your big box store and you wander down the aisle and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I need some underpants. I'm going to grab a package of these oh, there's like 20 of them they cost six dollars they're garbage that price is garbage they feel scratchy and uncomfortable they stink after a certain amount of time you don't want that on you and you're going to be wearing that more often than you're going to be wearing your cool shirt that you paid a bunch of money for but you only wear you know once or twice a month mac weldon is going to sell you the stuff that you should be caring about the most and they're going to do it in a way that's easy for you and is going to give you high quality products, smart design, premium fabrics, antimicrobial stuff. So it doesn't stink, comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, stuff that you're going to wear more often than the things you think about all the time, which is the cool shirt, the cool jeans, whatever it is. Think about this better and you don't even have to worry about you know getting out of your house and going into the stupid big box store and wasting your time and nobody wants to do that this is shop from home get it online it comes in a cool package it's really high quality this is what you want to be doing i'm wearing mac weldon's right this second i swear i really am i love my mac weldon's i reach for them first in the morning Guess what? Because you listen to this show, we're going to hook you up with a deal. If you want to upgrade your wardrobe, if you want to feel better and smell better, go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, and use our promo code, which is DLC at checkout. You'll get 20% off. Hey, that's pretty good. DLC is the promo code. MacWeldon.com is the site. 20% off. Feel better. Look better. Smell better. Some fun stuff uh, coming out this week. Actually, a really big week of releases. Uh, and, of, of course, we've we've had an amazing first part of the year. Total Biscuit, what is on your playlist this week? Oh, my playlist is, let's just say, far too lengthy. There's a lot <laughs> going on with it. There's a lot of stuff that I want to be playing, trying to catch up on. And it's been difficult to do that. I've had my parents over this week. They flew over from England for a little visit, which has put a dampener on my ability to catch up with any of this stuff. But regardless of that, I have been able to slide in a little bit of time, as I know, Jeff, you have as well, with the Dawn of War 3 beta. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you said beta instead of beta. I, you know, there were some <laughs> words that I brought with me from England, and I decided to leave that one there because I think beta sounds silly. <laughs> me too well, i'm I glad we agree that it had so i've abandoned that one i've adopted the colonial for that usa we've had some impact on you i appreciate that um so uh 
Donald, were you a fan of Donald War Two? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah I know, I know but, you're a big RTS guy, StarCraft Two uh, commentator and streamer. So, what is your what is your feeling of the of the beta for Donald War Three? Uh, very mixed impressions, really. And obviously, I've I played quite a lot of StarCraft, but I commentate an awful lot more of it on a pro level. I so terrible at that game. When you commentate a bunch of pro level stuff you become more and more embarrassed to actually play it. <laughs> it just feels like this is not I'm not used to this. I'm used to seeing something, and then when I try to implement that same thing, my fingers just fall to pieces, and right. it, it becomes a bit of an embarrassing nightmare. But I did enjoy both Dawn of War 1 and 2 for different reasons. They were very different games. Dawn of War 1 was a more traditional real-time strategy in terms of its base-building mechanics, but they pushed this idea, which was fairly unique at the time of a more aggressive push across the map for resource control. They try to eliminate the concept of turtling. You couldn't just sit in your base behind a layer of turrets and hope for the best. You had to go out there. You had to take those resource nodes. And they added things like morale and cover and real melee combat into the game. And that very much suited the theme. And it also made for a very interesting experience. And then along comes Dawn of War 2, which takes a lot of lessons from Company of Heroes. They Mm -hmm. think about things like cover being almost the be-all and end-all if you're behind heavy cover you are a living god if you have your heavy weapons angled in the right way so that someone walks through your line of fire those guys are going to get pinned down you're going to have to force them to retreat or they'll just get minced in a shower of heavy bolt of fire for the emperor which i'm okay with but there you go (laughs) and the single-player campaign was more of an rpg it was more of a real-time tactics rpg than anything else with gear and all sorts of things like that and i did find that enjoyable Along comes Dawn of War 3, it sort of tried to strike a balance in the middle somewhere. And in some ways, I think it's having some trouble establishing its own identity. It Mm. feels a bit more, I hesitate to use the word casual friendly. It has certain connotations that perhaps I don't mean. It feels more straightforward than the previous games. They've put some very contrived mechanics into it. And I believe that they have implemented those specifically to avoid a couple of situations that are making certain people, particularly old school guys that may play Command & Conquer 10, 20 years ago, and then said, well, I don't enjoy modern RTS because it doesn't feel like that anymore. They put a couple of mechanics in to try and coax those guys and then they're getting bounced off. And one of those is that you have this big shield generator on the map and a giant turret that murders anything that comes anywhere near your base. Mm-hmm. until you have disabled those power generators and then made a assertive assault on that turret, which even when the power generators are down, you have to work very hard to take down. So the whole idea of rushing, I suppose, yeah. is kind of out of the window for a lot of people. And they also have the phase system called Escalation Phases. It starts in phase one, and there are certain ca- certain numbers of characteristics that apply to the map. One being extremely important that you get refunded the vast majority of the money that you spent on units when they die. So early on in the game, it's not a game killer if you lose a squad. But later on, they reduce that amount up to Escalation Phase 5, where you get no refunds at all. And it does seem like they're going out of their way to create a game mode that fixes that through very contrived mechanical changes rather than trying to change player behavior, I suppose, trying to educate them as to what a rush is and how to defend against it. They simply say, a rush is now impossible because of these things. Uh, As an experienced RTS player, that does rub me the wrong way a bit. Yeah, it's it's an odd 
way of going about it because it, it is a little uh, on rails of, you know, you, you can't, we've just outlawed a certain manner of a, approaching this game. We've yes. just, and, and as you say, it's very arbitrary. There's no, the systems are just in place uh, to be systems. There's no really reasoning behind it. I no. did have a, a, a lot of fun playing it. I, I think the Warhammer 40K universe is just really a fun place to be. Just the, Absolutely. The, the absurdity of the designs, you know, just like, yeah, does a space marine need a sword? No, but let's give them t- three of them. Why not? You know, it's all that like crazy uh, Warhammer 40K stuff is great. The hero units are really cool. The game looks good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think for me as somebody who has made the full transition from RTS to MOBA, it it's almost – hard actually to to step back and go oh yeah i do have to command all these little units again and and i actually really loved turtling <laughs> that was like what i liked about rts because i wasn't a very skilled player to be quite honest um and and to be forced out of that shell i think is a benefit to me but also it, it didn't make the game more fun it just made it just made me go oh you're forcing me to play a certain way yeah. uh, okay okay here i go mm. i'll play the way you want me to play a game so I think mixed the, feelings too. Yeah, I think a lot of people like to like the idea of just being able to build their ultimate base and sit behind layers and layers of fortifications. The yeah. game doesn't let you do that. The base building aspect is there, and it's more advanced than it was in Dawn of War 2, where there really wasn't one. You know, it was right. just a this building, you tech up and research, it's all kind of from one central place. You can build buildings now, and particularly if you play the Eldar, you are encouraged to build certain buildings across the map. If you put your webway portals around the map, they give an area of effect speed bonus called Fleet of Foot, which is extremely potent. And as you go through the tech levels, you can teleport units from gate to gate. You can use the gates to reinforce your squads, and you can use the gates to cloak areas around you and things like that, which is very interesting. That's the sort of thing that's probably going to take aback a lot of these, you know, MOBA players, as it were. If they're trying to attract the MOBA crowd again, this game mode is not going to do that. Just right. because it has some MOBA-like objectives, that doesn't make it any less of a real-time strategy at all. It's right. very much a case of you've got to build order, you need to take the right places at the right time, and you have to have the right units out at the right time. Because if you don't, if you get hard-counted, your squad is dead quick. No yeah. doubt about it. If an assault marine squad jumps on top of your in-place Dark Reapers, those Dark Reapers have about three seconds to live. No yeah. doubt about it. The hero units are an interesting thing that you brought up there, because I actually ran into a, a turtle scenario during mm. gameplay at one point that actually drove me up the wall. It really frustrated me. I, we, I'd taken 90% of the map. I had all these resource points. The guy was bottled in his base. The only thing keeping him in there were the fact that he has his base turrets up, which are very powerful if you get caught in them. They can eviscerate half your army. And he had his top hero unit, which was an orc mechanaut, I believe, a gargant. And I would take my army, I'd walk up to his base, he'd cast a few cooldown-based spells, and then my army would disappear. And he'd do this over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd rebuild my army, because I had all the money in the world, but he had this hero unit that he could repair for free in his base, and I just kept throwing these units at him. I thought, oh, right, well, I've got all my anti-tank units. I know how to beat this thing. I've built the perfect unit composition to do it. And then just died, just time and time and time again. (laughs) I don't think that scenario is going to come up very often, but if it gets to late game, 40, 50 minutes in, when the guy's holed up in his base just refusing to give up, I think you might run into a scenario where you just can't break that. There's not enough siege craft to be able to do it, I suppose. 
Huh. Uh, well, we should also mention that the, the beta didn't have any of the uh, campaign mode in it. No, and I, I'm definitely interested to see what that entails because uh, I, I love that universe and I think it would be very fun to play the campaign of that. Um, what else is on your playlist there, TB? I've been playing quite a lot of Battle Brothers. Mm, I don't know that game. Well, it is a low fantasy tactics game where you run a mercenary company, which has been devastated in a previous battle through betrayal and horrible Game of Thronesy type of things. And your three remaining mercenaries try and rebuild their company of mercenaries and take on contracts with villagers to earn money. And your mercenaries will level up and they will also gain the scars of war you know if you you could a guy can get his arm chopped off and that's a permanent injury that will affect him forever each person has different advantages and disadvantages they all progress in different ways and you have to try and scavenge them the best equipment you can you know rather than most tactics games where perhaps you have a force of incredible warriors this guy has a flaming sword plus two of destiny and the shield of holy endurance you've got maybe a pitchfork and a sackcloth and a <laughs> spade of straw and that's maybe the best you can scavenge up. You're starving. You barely have enough bread to feed your company. You have to desperately take on a mission just to feed, uh, just to get by. And there's that feeling of desperation and trying so, so hard to keep your mercenaries alive that is very compelling to me. If you've ever played a game called Mountain Blade, oh, yeah. that is a game that's quite similar in theme and progression. But this game is a tactics game, quite similar to XCOM or Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions. You know, hex-based movement, action points, using terrain, all that kind of thing. It's a very compelling experience for me, it, especially since having your best guy just die because it got its head eaten by a dire wolf in a bad encounter. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun to lose. It's one of those games where it is fun to lose, and losing those characters is part of the experience. Yeah, I'm just looking it up now. I wasn't even aware of this game, but it's it looks cool. It's got a kind of a little cartoony looking aesthetic, um, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's almost of, like moving little wooden miniatures on a board. Like they're yeah. they're only from the torso up. So right, it's almost, right, little yeah. little busts of of yeah, characters. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, and I've I've had a lot of fun with that. It's the it's a kind of game where you can get war stories. It's the same mm-hmm. reason I like XCOM. You tell the war story of your custom named character that got through five battles by the skin of his teeth and saved the party through incredible heroism and then accidentally tripped over and fell on an arrow through his eye and died. And <laughs> it's that. And right. I love the low fantasy theme too. There are orcs, there are undead, but there's no magic as far as right. I'm aware. It's just those are just realities of that world. They're just dangers and you as mortal men have to deal with them. Yeah, I've been playing uh, Expedition Vikings. I can't, I can't talk yeah. about it yet, but... Yeah. but- um, I'm very excited to talk about that because the same type of thing where it's like it plays like a, a fantasy game, but it it doesn't have any. It's real world stuff, and I think that's that's a cool feeling of like, oh yeah, this is all based in sort of a grounded reality. A I love that grounded feel. Yeah. yeah, I played a little bit of Expeditions Conquistadors, which was the previous game in that series, and I'm very yeah. excited for Vikings. That I almost stuck on Conquistadors. I think Vikings is their next chance to really get me in deep. Uh, what else you got on your playlist there? You have a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. I just don't want to take too much of your time on all of this. I'd love to Not hear what you guys have been playing. I But we have been potting it up a little bit with Use Your Words. I don't know if you've had the chance to play that one. Uh, <laughs> oh, I say that to my kid all the time, though. Indeed. You know, and uh, <laughs> it's appropriate to play with the kids as long as you put on the kid-friendly mode. Let's just say a few of the prompts are not so kid-friendly. Uh, we were playing with 
my family last night and uh, I let my son stay up. He had the first day of school today after spring break. Let him stay up to play one game. Everything was going just fine. We realized we had not turned off the less kid-friendly prompts and we had a prompt for a really bad name for a sex toy. Oh, boy. And I will admit his answer was quite funny. I will give him that. He he handled it, although there were some weird looks around the room as to say, (laughs) who did this? Who was responsible for this? What did he say? I, I believe he went for... Um, the Grumpy Donkey or something along those lines. <laughs> that is so yeah. weird. That is exactly what my wife and I call it. Hold on. I got to go register our website real quick. <laughs> got it. GrumpyDonkey.xxx. Yeah, they've got those new domains for that kind of content now. If you've Have you ever played any of the Jackbox games? Right. Yeah, yeah they're great. If you've played those, Use Your Words is like that. It's just a single game. It has four different mini games within that game that it rotates through. Designed... Uh, very much so for playing in front of an audience it has streaming capability it has modes for that one of the consultants on it i believe uh it's called uh is it brentle floss is his name he's a very popular streamer so he consulted for them uh, in terms of the watchability of the game and it's a prompt based game Uh, they'll show you a little clip of a public domain foreign film and then you have to subtitle one of the scenes They'll show you a picture and say, write a news headline that's appropriate for this. And then it's vote for the funniest, essentially. There's an old boxed game called Quip It that did the same exact yes. thing we had a good time with. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've taken a lot of those games, made them digital, using smart devices as a way to interface with them, I think is a, that's killer. I think that's a really great use of it. It's a great way to get around the problem of having eight people in a room and not having eight controllers. Everyone right. has a smartphone or a tablet or something, or even just a laptop you can use. So... That, that's a very fun game. It's obviously going to be dependent on the quality of the audience you have, the quality of, <laughs> of course. people you're with as to how funny it is, but right. very much enjoyed that. And I played a little bit of uh, really bad chess on I iOS. was very curious to hear about this. I saw that on your channel, and you said it is truly really bad chess. That is exactly what it is. The, the guy who made it apparently uh, is fairly similar to me, somebody who loved chess but was awful at it and realized that in the internet age it's less acceptable to be awful at chess uh, i hanging around with the starcraft scene in particular with the, these competitive guys they have a great deal of respect for chess and they play chess to quite a high level as you might expect mm-hmm. so it's like hey do you want a game of chess with me i'm like no actually i do not because i know <laughs> you will crush me and i will feel stupid really bad chess is for people like me they give you completely unfair board configurations. The first one I played, they gave me four knights, three queens, and a rook. And <laughs> you have to play with those rules. They have daily boards that everybody plays, and you have to try and beat it in the fewest moves to get on the leaderboard. You could do completely randomized. The way you balance it is instead of making the AI worse, you give the AI worse pieces. Hmm. So you can give them a handicap, or you can give them a bonus, depending on how good you are. And that's a really enjoyable thing to carry around with you. Do you think it's the kind of thing that actually will make you better at actual chess? I think it might. What's interesting about it is it completely throws all of the openers out of the window and the usual situations that you would find yourself in in chess. There's none of those. You're not concerned about your opening moves because you might have four knights 
Right. So those opening moves are kind of out the window. It's like, well, I usually couldn't move this piece here because it will be under threat by this piece. Oh, he doesn't have that piece this game. <laughs> so I'm not overly worried about his bishops because he doesn't have any. So it's, it is interesting. I think you could learn a little, certainly. Mm. Cool. Uh, Christian, you've been playing a bunch of uh, adventure games, right? Yeah, we, um, you know, weren't allowed to talk about it last week. And I we were both provided codes for Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy episode. Oh, yes. Episode one is out. And there's a lot to like about the game. I'll, I'll say the stuff I like, and then I'll say the stuff that I say about Telltale games that I'm, I keep saying it, hoping that it, it gets improved uh, next time. Um, it is your cast of characters you know and love from the films. I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy is a very rich comic universe that most people maybe aren't exposed to. They've certainly had some a uh, great run over the past couple of years um, in comics that has kind of taken from the cinematic universe as well. And this is very much that. It's not you know, a continuation of the cinematic story, but it's very much those versions of the characters that you know and love coming from there. Great voice acting, the art style in these games. It's kind of like, um, you know, when Disney Infinity came out, they somehow created an art style that seems to work for every brand (laughs) in some form or fashion where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, how are they going to pull off Game of Thrones with this look? Oh, it looks good. How are they going to, there's no way they're going to be able to do a Rocket Raccoon and have star oh they look good they look good like i would buy figures of all of these characters um the voice acting's great the episode one it's so hard to judge i think where these things go it, they do it something always is with them right you know? in particular telltale do front load you know they usually have a big cliffhanger at the end of episode one that makes you want to buy the second and sometimes it fizzles and sometimes it doesn't Right, exactly. And and there's something very big and early in this one, and I won't say what it is. And when it happens, you're like, what? <laughs> uh, where does this Where does this go? And it's either something that pays off really cool, or I think, you know, check in whenever it is three months from now, and it'll be like, what a waste. <laughs> Don't play these. <laughs> it, it did not deliver. So it's hard to give a, a review in that sense of the story, because you're reading one issue of a comic, you know, so to speak. And you're like, neat, here's these characters I like. They don't do much yet. <laughs> um, but the things that continue to bother me about Telltale Games, and I don't know technically what it is um, or how to fix it, it just everything seems too long. I don't know if they need an editor to come in. There's a scene, I'll speak vaguely, where there's kind of a what appears to be a hero's entrance where it should be, you know, here's your team, cue the music, fireworks in the background. And it kind of happens, and, and then they just kind of walk in slowly for like three seconds to, and you're like, yeah, I get it. Like move. It's like, uh, Hey Jeff, why don't you have a look at this menu and see what you want to order? I pick up the menu. I hold (laughs) the menu. I hand you the menu. You grab the menu. You look at the menu. Oh, let's get a hamburger. You put the menu down. And I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. We get it. And I know the conversation stuff needs to be slow, slower than, you know, like fast paced teen drama, you know, CW TV show because you need to listen and make decisions. But there's just something that drags between the scenes that that frustrates me. (laughs) And maybe I'm the only one. So if you don't have that frustration, I think you'll be very happy, you know, jumping into this universe. It's very much what Telltale does. There's not anything new or, you know, outside the box. It's like, oh, no, this this is an RTS. (laughs) They totally change things. Um, And the characters are, like I said, the all ones that I love and the voice acting is great. And hopefully the story works out. Check in (laughs) months from now, because right now it's too early to say. 
Yep, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. There was the big cliffhanger at the end of the first episode of Game of Thrones, and a lot of that fizzled out towards the end. The whole conclusion to the story didn't end up being all that satisfying. It's a bit of a take-it-or-leave-it mixed bag with Telltale, considering how many properties they're juggling right now. But I think the biggest problem with their games is that they're just stubborn refusal, or maybe incapability to do so, considering they have so many plates in the air right now, to upgrade their engine, to move on to something that isn't horribly out of date. They're still using the same engine they were with the Back in the Sam and Max era, I believe. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous at this point. It's looking quite dated. Well, that's what you, when you see, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Episode 1 for uh, Xbox One, PC, PlayStation 4, iOS, uh, Android. It's all, you know, it's day and date. It's, and it all looks exactly the same. It's like, oh, well, okay. Maybe you're not, you know, maybe there's more that could be done here. There's a few stutters. I'm playing on PC. There's still a few like frame rate stutters and hiccups where, yeah, I don't know. I think I said back when the Batman Telltale game came out, like I want Telltale to write a game and then hand it to Rocksteady, you know, (laughs) to to make the graphics and make the engine and and play in that world. Um, It's frustrating and hopefully... You know, they they seem to have all the money. So maybe, <laughs> again, I do not develop video games, so I don't know the reality of it. But, hey, do it better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we, uh, we we do have codes to give out for that game. So uh, in the next couple of weeks, we've been giving out codes on the quick questions segment for uh, Out of the Park Baseball. And we will be doing that this week again. But next week and beyond, we'll have more codes for more games, including Guardians of the Galaxy Episode 1. So if you want to develop your own opinion, uh, send us a quick question at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com or on the subreddit. Um, but Christian, you've also play- been playing a little bit of Full Throttle Remastered, right? Yeah, I had a real blind spot in my gaming history where I never played it. I think it was just like 95, 96. Like, I just remember, I remember it coming out and I remember loving those games. But then I also remember being like, yeah, but like girls, you know, <laughs> or what, whatever I was doing in my life then. Um, and I heard the remaster was great. So I, uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm maybe only, it's not a super long game, but maybe a third of the way through it so far. I actually am playing with the original graphics, but with the remastered sound. Hmm. So it's like a high fidelity mix of the original voice. Uh, so it's not like re-recorded, but just much cleaner. And I, I have a, a quick trigger to switch back and forth on the graphics, um, where I always want to see what it look, what the new graphics look like, but I love pixel art, and I think Full Throttle's original pixel art is pretty incredible. And Absolutely, it's, it's the, yeah. The Scum Engine games had in the LucasArts era stuff was phenomenal for the time, but stands the test of time to today. So more often than not, you're thinking, well, is this really a remaster rather than a coat of paint that I never asked for in the first place? Right. And that's, I think, the, the interesting thing with it. It's much like the Street Fighter 2 um, HD remaster, and it's co- like yeah. the similar one that's coming out for the Switch, where it's a shiny coat of paint, but on the same pixels, more or less. So it's the same game, same engine underneath. And so sometimes while it looks great in a still shot, the animations don't work for this really sharp HD thing where your head is up and then down and then right and then left. But if you watch it in the original pixel art, it looks much smoother. Um, so I usually switch when I get into a new scene into the new remastered graphics to kind of take it in and see what, it, you know, the changes and be like, oh, look, his chin smaller, bigger, smaller, bigger, smaller, bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I, I play the game, I play it in that pixel art. And this game, I didn't I played, even I've been know. playing this game for 10 hours. Eight of those hours have been smaller, bigger, smaller, bigger. <laughs> Just pressing that button. <laughs> I mean, probably more like two out, two of the hours, but, uh. Um, there's polygonal stuff in this game, and I totally didn't remember that at all. So it's this really cool 
you know, you can see where games are going. It's this hybrid of pixel art and on a polygonal motorcycle. And what a beautiful hand-drawn um, world kind of meshing with where the future of video games are going to go. And the writing so far, again, only a third of the way through it, it's, it's sharp, it's funny. The puzzles are um, of that era still where... I was very generous of you there. (laughs) You paused for a second to say, yeah, moon logic. Right. right. Well, it's it's hard because I played these games uh, when I was younger, not this particular one. So I still have a fondness for that kind of thing. But I do wonder for someone that's just stumbling into it that maybe likes the Telltale games where those puzzles, air quote puzzles, they're much lighter and much more find a key for the door. Um, this is sometimes there's no hint like very early on you need to unlock a thing and there's no hint as to where the the solve for that at all you can talk to everyone and they never tell you like check the badabadab or what you need is you know to cook this thing it's just click on stuff dude <laughs> you yeah know? Rub, rub x it. on y see what happens i i used to play those games only with a walkthrough directly to hand and i would be referring to it liberally if i got stuck for more than 10 minutes i'd be straight to the walkthrough it was Discworld in particular that i don't think i left the walkthrough that <laughs> game made no sense and that comes from someone that has read the vast majority of the Discworld novels the game logic still didn't make any sense <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> but it's fun. I'm I'm really enjoying it. It was uh like I think eleven bucks on Steam when I picked it up that kind of first week or whatever. So I think if you're like me and you have the blind spot, Jeff, I wish you had your original review because that'd be great to compare. It's, uh. <laughs> it's, it's definitely in my dad's house. Uh, I only I only picked like a few choice ones to bring with me to my life here in L.A. Um, and I thought maybe that would be one of them, but but I found like Super Star Wars, and I found Actraiser, and I found there's like a bunch of Street Fighter, uh, the console edition, and I found a bunch of stuff that I reviewed back in the day. And uh, my r- ridiculously dorky 14 year old kid photo in the newspaper that you know was like an advertisement to beat me up every week. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, on my playlist, uh, we already talked about some of the stuff I'm playing, but. Um, I also got a chance to try out a uh, sort of an indie-developed role-playing game, like a Japanese-style role-playing game called Shyness the Lightning Kingdom. Uh, and it is based on a manga that I am not really familiar with, but it's uh, this world, very vibrant, colorful world of anthropomorphized cat people and, and stuff. Um, Cool-looking characters, really neat designs, um, very manga-esque. And um, you start and you, you land in this world and you start as one character and you switch over and you eventually assemble this team that you have a, a number of different characters and you can um, constitute your three-member group that has different abilities and you're wandering around and you're getting into fights. The fights, I think, are the most important – or excuse me, most uh, entertaining part of the game because you get into these little – it's almost like what I always wished for when I was younger. I, I would always say, you know, I would love to have a role-playing game, but when you get into a fight, it turns into a 2D fighter. Like, it turns into Street Fighter when I get into a, a battle. And this game kind of does that. It's 3D, uh, but it, it sections off an arena, and now you have punches and kicks and blocks and dodges and some special abilities, magic that you can wield. And you're fighting what is ostensibly a three-dimensional sort of Power Stone-esque um, Marvel versus Capcom fight where you can you fight one on one with anybody, but you can swap in your teammates uh, at any time. And um, the combat system is is pretty fun in that way. And you're even if you fight a pack of enemies, you only fight them one at a time. You'll defeat one, and it'll be like, okay, next one, step up, and he steps up, and you fight that one. 
you have magic that you can shoot uh, based on the elements. The barrier around the uh, fighting arena, the arbitrary like beams of light that cordon off the area you're fighting in are color coded to the elements. So, and they cycle. So you're waiting for the element that you want your mana recharged. And once that element cycles through the barrier color, you can push a button and recharge your mana. So there's kind of a unique element of timing and strategy with regard to what elements you're using and how you recharge them and where you put yourself on the battlefield to do that. And it's all real time and it's all actiony. And that stuff's pretty fun. The exploration of the world, the role-playing stuff is not as strong. Um, the characters each have a unique ability that lets them solve puzzles, but the puzzles across the board are really banal and uninteresting. Um, there's, there's like one guy's special move literally is to create a heavy rock. He can manifest a heavy rock at any point. If you need a heavy rock to put on a pedestal to, you know, pressure sensitive pedestal thing. So I bet Indiana Jones wishes he had that guy with him. Don't yeah. knock it till you try it, buddy. It's a very I, I mean, oddly specific power of puzzle solving. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's very odd. It's like, you know, those Zelda puzzles where you get the box and you move it over the thing. It's like, well, this guy can create his own box. It's oh, like, okay. oh, the phenomenal cosmic power. <laughs> exactly. You need a heavy stone? I'm your guy. Um and then another character like has a wrench that can change the polarity of these beams and you're creating circuits. It's all very tedious and uninteresting as far as puzzle solving goes. And uh, I was a little disappointed by that. The game is uh, 30 bucks. I would be – or no, 40 bucks I think. I would be much more confident recommending it at half the price. Um, it's mm. not that long. It has some charm to it, especially if you're really into, uh, you know, Japanese style manga and the characters are, are fun and the storytelling is typical of that genre. It's like this comic book style, um, storytelling, but ultimately the game is a little thin and uh, other than the combat system, I, I didn't really love it. Yeah. I'm looking at it. It does seem like you would have to enjoy the combat system to a fairly significant extent to really enjoy the game fully. Yeah. Yeah, you do a lot of it and and it's cool. You know, that that part is cool. It's just the rest of the world is very linear. It, it feels like a throwback to the old uh role-playing games you would find on, you know, on a Dreamcast or something. It's uh Yeah. And and that's fun. Like that's cool that there is a throwbacky feel, but ultimately it doesn't it has the flaws of those games as well. All right, uh, that's going to do it for the playlist. I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is, I know I don't like to have favorites, guys, but I love this. Blue Apron has changed my life, and, and I'm not exaggerating in any way. My wife and I use it. It is, we build our lives around Blue Apron, and that is not an exaggeration. Blue Apron delivers meals to your door. They deliver fresh ingredients and really cool meals, and Really, the thing that got in the way of me cooking in my life is two things. Deciding what to cook. It was always very intimidating to like get on the internet and go, okay, chicken recipe. And there's like 4,000. Hot dogs or right. hot dogs. Right. Mm. You would eventually just make garbage for yourself because that's easy and you just won't want to deal with it. And then the second thing was going to the grocery and getting the ingredients because – Invariably, I would, you know, I'd find a recipe where I need some uh, parsley. So I go and I buy a bushel of parsley. And now I've got like a half cubic ton of parsley in my fridge. And I use three sprigs for this, you know, or, or whatever it is, uh, a dozen eggs and I only need to use one. 
Blue Apron solves those problems. They have recipes for you that are awesome. They're always delicious. Last night, my wife and I made uh, gnocchi that was so delicious. It, gnocchi. I've never made gnocchi. I made gnocchi. And it was uh, an amazing cheese sauce and it had uh, roasted um, um, baby bok choy, which I love saying the word. <laughs> Uh, I would never buy baby bok choy from the rest, from the store, but Blue Apron delivers it to me. It delivers exactly the amount that I need. It doesn't give me extra that's going to go bad. It, it it has great recipes. You can select different kinds of um, uh, dietary restrictions. If you want to be a vegetarian, you can be vegetarian. All that stuff. You're going to eat better. You're going to know what goes in your food, and you're going to get – skills. I end up, I'm, I know how to chop things now. I enjoy cooking. I feel awesome. It is truly a life-changing thing. I, you're going to get variety. I, we, I don't think we've ever even had, we, I've been um, uh, subscribing to Blue Apron for like three years now. I don't think we've ever had the same recipe twice. It's awesome. And always I'm surprised at these cool new ingredients that I've never heard of. It's delicious. It's good. And it's healthier than what you're probably eating now. Okay, so do you want to try it? I think you should. We're going to give you three meals for free with free shipping. Shipping is always free with Blue Apron. All you got to do is go to blueapron.com slash DLC and you get three free meals for free. They know that you heard about it on our show and it makes me happy because I think this is truly one of the greatest things ever. I, I mean, I really, truly love Blue Apron. You'll love how good you feel. You'll love how good it tastes. It's going to change your life. Blueapron.com slash DLC. All right. I am excited because Total Biscuit is here and he is a board gamer. So you know what that means. It's time for tabletop time. TB, uh, what have you gotten to the table recently? Well, I did manage to get Potion Explosion onto the table after mm. spending an hour assembling Potion Explosion. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that I bought the physical version of this after buying the iOS version was I thought the physical aspect of sliding marbles down tracks and having marbles fall onto other marbles and all that sort of thing would be quite enjoyable. Delightful! And it is. It, it is a, a nice little enjoyable experience. The main problem being that it comes in a box uh, with about 20 stacks of cardboard, a lot of marbles, and an Ikea-like instruction set as to how to assemble this potion storage unit, which you feed marbles into. You have to manually bend the cardboard into slides that will actually fit and won't have the marbles get stuck on the way down. <laughs> it, it's the sort of thing that I think would have worked a lot better if it had more premium level components, but I understand they wanted to sell this thing for $30, $35, not $100. It's the kind of thing that I imagine a third-party company might make a premium dispenser for at some point if right. there isn't one already but the game was very enjoyable on ios and turned out to be a hit on the table as well pretty easy to teach simply because it's a very visual game it's, well, it's basically bejeweled, bejeweled right if you've played bejeweled you kind of get the core concept and it's cool to have bejeweled in a physical form like you know that that visceral feeling of crashing down and creating new combos it's like actually happening with marbles in front of you right absolutely yeah it's uh it, does have the match three feel, although it's not 
100% that, the idea of the game being that you have to create an explosion. And the way that you do that is by taking away a marble that already exists. So let's say I've got a bunch of marbles here. I take away this blue marble and two red marbles crash into the red marble that was below the blue marble. That causes an explosion. We take those away. Hey, did the one above that crash into another one of the same color? I get those too, if that's the case. And then you take those resources and you put them into potion vials, mix up the potions, complete the potions. That's how you score points. But rather than just being a point scoring method, which a lot of games do, they'll just go with a very generic run-of-the-mill scoring system. The scoring mechanism is also a power-up system. You can use a potion once per game to get a special effect, such as take all of the stored marbles that I have in my little auxiliary storage unit, which can store up to three marbles of any color, and put them into a potion regardless of their color, or steal from another player, or take all of the marbles from the bottom row as long as they're all different colors, that kind of thing. It's it's very fun to play. I'm very procedural. You've got to do things in the right order, and if you don't, then you'll end up with a suboptimal outcome. So teaching that can be a bit of a problem to players that don't really understand the the idea of optimal procedure. But outside of that, it went down well. It was easy to teach. We had a good few games. It had good pacing to it. It was very enjoyable. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been playing the uh, iOS version of Potion Explosion for a while now myself, and it's kind of funny that a game that seems to have clearly been inspired by those type of bejeweled Candy Crush type games, like it comes from a, a iOS type game into a cardboard form and then reimagined back into an iOS version, but. As you might expect, it works really well uh, as an iOS app. It, it uh, delivers that exact kind of experience that you, you know, just takes care of all that fiddliness that, that you were kind of talking about for you. And you don't have to build the box. You don't have to worry about the marbles rolling away from you or fitting them back into the little top slot to make them go, you know, reassemble all that stuff. It handles for you, which is cool. But it does, it is missing, I think, what it, what is a very fun tactile experience. Yes, exactly. That yeah. physical aspect of the game does add quite a bit to it. There are benefits to playing a digital version, particularly since you don't have to wait for all the other players to take their turns. You know, if you want a quick round of it, you can spend as long as you like coming up with the best move possible and not have people glaring across the table at you waiting for you. So right. that's always nice. But you are right. You know, sliding marbles down in this thing is a lot of fun in and of itself and hearing them clank together and then just grabbing them all and just having a fistful of marbles and uh, <laughs> getting as many potions as you can. Yeah, it, that is very fun. No yeah, it is, it. it's one of those games where, you know, a lot of games, they feel very stingy with resources. And this game, you you, you really do like have a fist full of marbles at the end. And yeah. like, I, don't, I can't even use all these. I got so many. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, you also have been playing Cult Express, right? It's another Asmodee game. I do love my Cult Express, yes. Uh, try, try to play that again physically. There is a digital version. We tried to play it. It's not very well implemented, particularly on PC. It might have the worst lobby system of any multiplayer game I've ever played. It has an invite system where if you don't accept the invite in five seconds, you can't come into the game and you have to remake the entire lobby to re-invite the guy. Yikes. It's actually awful. <laughs> they, need, <laughs> they really need to do something with that, but they have no real reason to because it's shifted almost no copies on PC anyway, which is a shame. But as a board game, it's a lot of fun. Again, you've got that great tactile aspect of it that it has a train that you put together and you can move onto the top of the train. It's a fully three-dimensional game and moving on top of the train and running along the top and then diving into a carriage beneath is a legitimate strategy. And it's a game where learning the people at the table is maybe more important than learning the game itself. You want mm. to try and figure out how aggressive is this guy 
and try and predict what he's going to be doing and also keep track of the moves they've already made and try and program your moves so that they end up doing the right thing. And it all goes to hell, of course, at some point where you've forgotten where you actually are <laughs> and you run straight into the marshal, get shot, and then swing at nothing as you programmed your character to punch next turn. So <laughs> there's a lot. I think that the failure is the fun in that game, very much right. so. The screw ups are where the, the laughs come from. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Uh, that game is a blast. And it um, it's as if somebody created a rule set for what you would play as a kid anyway. Like somebody has a toy train and you got a couple of action figures, you like invent this game. And then this is sort of the codified version of that. (laughs) It's really cool. Um, And it's a game that if you see somebody playing it on a table, you're like, Oh, what is that? That looks awesome. So yeah, Colt express and potion explosion. Both of those are available as iOS uh, apps. Um, Asmodee is doing a big push on a lot of their games. In fact, uh, I also had a chance to play Splendor as an iOS mm, game. Yes. Splendor is one of my favorite and my wife's favorite um, tabletop games. It's a game I recommend to people. When a lot of people are like, oh, I want a game for, for you know people that I've never played before or whatever. Splendor is so easy to teach. It is a, a cool, fun, quick strategy game. And it has really good high-quality components with uh, these big, thick, like casino chip-type tiles. Um, and you are, you're just kind of um, – you're acquiring gems and creating combos to uh, get more powerful gems. And then uh, if you have enough points, you can actually get patrons of this gem market to join your your hand as well. And they all give you bonuses. Um, really cool game on the table and a really cool implementation on uh, iOS and Android as well. Uh, I've been I've been playing a lot of it, actually, just sort of, you know, in in time between times. Um, but it, it plays great. Uh, as a handheld, it's gorgeous. They did a really, really good job of bringing over the visuals of the game. It's vibrant and cool and colorful. So one I highly recommend as well if you want to spend a couple of bucks and try out a board game on your phone. All right, uh, we can move on from tabletop time now. Let's, uh, let's move on to quick questions. But first, we do need to thank our final sponsor, and that is Gamefly. Oh my gosh, do you want to save money and actually play more games? Spend less, play more. That's the secret. Let me introduce you to Gamefly. Gamefly is the best way to buy and rent all of your favorite games. At Gamefly.com, all you got to do is pick your favorite game, and then they get mailed directly to your door. They have over 9,000 titles for you to choose from, and they let you try your favorite games and movies before you buy. You can keep the games as long as you want, and you never have to worry about late fees. You can cancel at any time. And now, Gamefly offers movie rentals, too, so you can have a one-stop shop for all of your entertainment needs. Gamefly is how we actually review games. Christian uses Gamefly to review many of the games that we talk about on the show because it is a way to play more and actually have to spend less. We appreciate Gamefly very much for sponsoring the show, and we hope you give them a shot so that you're able to play all the great games you want for a fraction of the price. We'll hook you up. We'll give you a free trial, a free premium 30-day trial. All you got to do is go to Gamefly.com slash DLC. The premium trial allows you to try out two games and or movies at a time, and you can only get this offer by visiting Gamefly.com slash DLC. That DLC is very important. They know that you listen to our show, and that gets you that premium offer. So check it out, Gamefly.com slash DLC. Sign up, start playing all your favorite games for free 
for 30 days. Gamefly.com slash DLC. We have uh, a bunch of quick questions that have come in. People are excited because uh, if you sent in a quick question and we used it the last three weeks, including this one, you're getting a copy of Out of the Park Baseball, which is an award-winning baseball simulation game. Um, You can simulate being a manager of a baseball team. And uh, we're excited to be giving codes to all the people this week for that. But as I said, moving forward, uh, we've had a bunch of people step up and send us codes. And we're going to continue to have quick questions be the way to get games, get free games. Um, There are um, a bunch of mystery codes that we got. We got a bunch of uh, uh, episode one of Guardians of the Galaxy, the Telltale series. So uh, the next foreseeable future, if you send us a quick question to uh, we have – sorry, not the wrong show (laughs) – to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by posting it on our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com in the sticky to quick questions thread, you will get uh, a free game. All right, let's get to it. Quick question. This comes from Richard Colby. He says, name a game that you were surprised isn't more popular. Phoebe. Well, I've been advocating for this one for a while and I'll keep doing it until the end of time. Invisigun Heroes is a game that as far as I'm concerned, ticks all the boxes for a really great competitive multiplayer party game. And it has full online support, lobbies, everything you could possibly need, and a very unique setup in which you are all invisible. And by all, I mean including you. You can't see where you are, and that's actually the point. You have to sneak around, and the only time that you ever appear is when you shoot your Invisigun, and you appear briefly on the screen. So you use it not only to kill your opponents, but also to kind of locate where you are (laughs) and not lose track of where that may be. And if you end up bumping into a wall, it will appear for people. If you end up, say, walking through the snow, you'll leave footprints to give people indications as to where you are. It seems like an update to the old uh, um, mode in combat. Oh, yeah. 2600 game, you know, there was, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's old, old, old school, but there were like, if you kept hitting select on your Atari 2600, there was like infinity different combat uh, modes. And one of them was everybody was invisible. Yeah, it's, it takes that concept just to a ludicrous extent and has an incredible selection of levels over 50 levels all with their own different gimmicks, a huge amount of game modes, I think at least eight different game modes and eight different playable characters that all have their own abilities, really great pixel art, awesome music, great online system, it's, it's barely, it's barely hit the radar of anybody, there's like four people playing it right now according to Steam Charts, it, it had an all-time peak of 42, and that's when myself and a bunch of streamers did a big push on it. It just didn't resonate with people for whatever reason, and maybe it just shows something of a disconnect between those of us that play an awful lot of video games and were desperate to find something new and interesting and original and have a group of people that also are looking for that, and your regular gaming populace that are saying, well, I'm not going to play $15 for a game where I can't even see myself. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's Invisigun Heroes. Uh, Christian, how about you? Name a game your surprise isn't more popular. My go-to for years was always Jet Set Radio, but I feel like mm. nostalgia has pulled that one back, even though I don't 
know if it plays that well. Like the Vita, I'm like, oh, this game was lived and died in its time. But that was always my, a lot of Dreamcast era games. I was the champion of, I loved my Dreamcast. So I feel like now people might say they're fans of it, even though it, it never really sold well. <laughs> a game you can go out and buy right now that I don't think did as well as, as it should have is Not a Hero, which is, I believe, Roll 7. Um, it's the closest, I think, to kind of a John Wick uh, pixel art experience you can get where you're, you're running, gunning, sliding, popping out. It has a, a very bizarre story behind it where, you know, either the person you're working for is probably someone you shouldn't be working for. But it's, it's really fun. It, you can play it with a retro controller if you have one, and um, it, it, it plays really, really well. So I, I like Not a Hero a lot. What about you? I mentioned this last week, but it is my go-to. I don't understand why this wasn't a massive franchise that had multiple, multiple iterations, uh, and that's Darksiders. Um, uh-huh. I, I know they had one sequel, but I don't think either of them sold particularly well. And you don't hear people talking about Darksiders. It was that like adult Zelda thing that I always wanted. It was a high-definition Zelda before we ever got high-definition Zelda. It was uh, it had a really cool art style. Uh, Joe Madera did the did the character designs. It was awesome. I loved it, and the sequel like added loot to the mix. It, these are great games, and I don't know why they aren't they aren't held in higher esteem. I think they deserve the sequel. It. Somewhat foreshadowing, you know, the loot system that was added. Things. Oh, Zelda with loot. Oh, wait, you know that's right. now the case that it was interesting to play Darksiders one and very much think that this is the the kind of ocarina of time equivalent and then go on to Darksiders 2, which had a bit more of an open world that you could ride around on your horse. It had that loot and played maybe a little bit more like Majora's Mask or like uh, Twilight Princess or something along those lines. And it really, it really was the Dark Zelda. Great cast of characters, awesome combat system in general, certainly deserved far more acclaim than it got maybe yeah. just came out at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I know a lot of people just thought it was a God of War knockoff, which yeah. is, really was not. Yeah. Yeah. The, that first game, like the first intro level, if it, the combat system felt like God of War and people were like, eh, it's a lame God of War. But it's, no, it's Zelda. It's Zelda. It's Zelda. Zelda. They've got a hook shot and everything. It's Zelda. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. All right. A quick question. This comes from NF Portal. He says, do you think that battles you are supposed to lose in role-playing games are okay? TB. That's a tricky one. The reason being that I do believe storytelling through gameplay is the strongest form of storytelling that you can get in a video game. I would much rather play the story than watch the story. If I want to watch a story, I'd go see a movie. I'm not the world's biggest fan of cutscenes, certainly. I'll happily skip them. The problem, of course, with battles that you're supposed to lose is the contrivance, the fact that you are not really the one as the player telling the story here. The story is going to have the same result regardless of what you do. I like it when you lose, but there is some recognition for you perhaps doing better than you were supposed to. Mm. Uh, This may point out that I don't know a great deal about Dark Souls or whatever, but if I recall correctly, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, you know, the Asylum Demon, originally people assumed you couldn't beat the Asylum Demon. Uh, it was either, or, or actually the first, the first boss in Demon Souls, maybe, not Dark Souls, maybe even going further back than that. And most players would die on that, and then they'd wake up 
as the undead. But right. some players were good enough to beat that boss, and then they'd go on to a bit where they would die. They would have to die eventually. But you had this sort of success state before the hard failure state. Right. And I think if you do it that way, if you recognize some degree of success before slapping you down and saying, no, you have to lose here, then I think that that's a good way of storytelling and also giving you that satisfaction through gameplay uh, because of your mechanical prowess or your particular strategic choices. Yeah. Yeah. The the surprise of, oh, I was supposed to die here to me is never satisfying enough to make up for the frustration during the, why why can't anything I do do anything to this guy? Uh, So I don't, I don't think it's a valuable experience to give to the, to the player. Like, okay. Oh, big twist. Oh, I was, okay. I was supposed to die. All right. Okay, I guess I'm feeling like an idiot for the last 20 minutes. This <laughs> gives no reason yeah, for it. Yeah, it's kind of a waste of time. It's like, was I just hitting X over and over again when I could have watched a cutscene here? Yeah. Is that really what ruined it? A lot of these games do solve that issue through QuickTime events. Probably right. one of the better uses of QTEs in particular. Asura's sure. Wrath, a great example of a game where, yes, there are fights that you lose, but you're losing fights with planet-sized enemies. And <laughs> you know, the way that you're doing that in itself is satisfying. You felt like you, know, you struggled and you tried, but it wasn't going to happen. Christian, you uh, on the same tip here? I think it can be done well. I think most of the time it's not, but I feel like that's most thing in game. Most things in games, you know, um, going back to Call of Duty, whatever it was, modern one of the warfare's, um, you know, press X to mourn, which I know isn't this, but it's like what a ugh. Press X that's to like pay saying, respects. Yes. Like when you have to push X to interact with things in a game. I guess yes, right. But here's a really bad example of it. Um, I think this has led to to cool things and there are, are cool instances of it um i think to some extent metal gear solid 4's radiation tunnel was led out of this idea of you you're supposed to die but like it's it's giving you the experience to the player in a way that you're supposed to feel like that i think like when it's done well you're supposed to feel frustrated and what that ah oh, because that's what's happening you know it's it's right. you as the character experiencing the same emotion and i think that's a cool way that that video games can pull it off most recently the thing i think did it well was um slight spoiler for a fairly recent game last year game if you don't want to know anything about it it's literally the first thing you do in battlefield one but it kind of telegraphs it too it says in in war you die or whatever it is in that first opening moment where you're down in the trenches and you die and you spawn as someone else and then die and spawn as someone else and yeah, it's just it's like powerful. hold on yeah was was i thought epic and, and really cool and setting the stage for what that game was going to be um so it's hard for me to say i don't like it when last year i played a moment that you know blew my mind in it being cool <laughs> yeah was that moment all completely forgotten when you became uh, iron man in the episode three however in the italian mountains because it bloody well was for me <laughs> <laughs> that was episode three you can't hold episodes accountable to each other just because they're in the same narrative <laughs> absolutely not yes <laughs> all right quick question this comes from kyle wasco he says do you finish more games now than you used to five years ago ten years ago absolutely not without question (laughs) if i finish a game it's probably because that game was four hours long or less Uh or in a very rare circumstance that it was something that i got so incredibly engrossed into and hooked into that i actually did invest the time i think the last game that i beat of any significant length was xcom 2 last year uh doom as well uh but that probably was about it yeah. Most of them I don't. I don't even feel the need to most of the time because I'm not a very narratively driven person. I don't really care about the end of the story. I cared about the gameplay, what I'd done up to that point, and whether or not I got satisfaction out of it through that. Hmm. Christian, how about you? 
Uh, I'd say about the same. What has changed over the years is that I start way more games. The amount of games that I beat is remained consistent, but oh, um, I, I start and play more games. I think more games come out, and there are more interesting experiences that I want to dip my toe into. So I'll maybe start, you know, whatever it is, a hundred games a year, but I'm still only beating you know 15 to 25 or whatever that is i mean mobas have to have wrecked this for you jeff you can't beat it right can't beat it <laughs> keep trying uh i'm like 3500 games into heroes of the storm and I, for some reason there's no end credits guys no end credits. Oh, you're, getting to, you're almost at act two don't worry <laughs> <laughs> um i i think that the, i have given myself permission not to finish things more now than i used to i if if the game is truly exceptional i i, I can't wait to fin- i love i mean horizon zero dawn i just i ate it up but there are games that i used to force myself to slog through just to have, be able to say i finished it and now i just i don't do that to myself anymore because there's here's the storm to be played <laughs> so yeah. it's very much a privilege if you have the money or you happen to have the access in our case maybe that we don't pay for our games that right. yes we we will not finish something that we're not enjoying unless we absolutely have to for our job, you know, unless it dictates that we must. Why waste the time? There are far too many good video games out there waiting to be explored. We know we'll never get to all of them. Why waste the time on something that you're not actually engaged in? I couldn't Someone say better. That's perfect. Print that, make it a poster, have a kitty cat hanging on a tree if we need to. Those, <laughs> those are the truest words I think ever said. Yeah. They need to be repeated every so often. <laughs> Uh, quick question. Uh, although this one, I don't think you understand this. Yeah, this is not a quick question. Jeff. I'm going to try to, this I'm going to summarize. Like, this comes from James <laughs> in Vermont. He basically said that, uh, he and his friends, um, back in 2002 were playing outside the park baseball three, and they decided to create a gigantic, like fake league with, that took place in the eighties, complete with its own website where that they would update with stories and a fake news, you know, like a beat reporter talking about the league and all this stuff. And he said they got really, really into it to the point where he like felt almost an obligation that bordered on work. Uh, and it actually ruined the fun of the game because he had like committed himself to this intense uh, job. He, so he says, quick question. Have you ever added your own systems to a video game and gotten carried away with it? TV. <sighs> to a video game? Oh, I, that very much back in the day, we used to put arbitrary rules into our Dota games. And by Dota, I'm talking Dota 1 here, Dota All-Stars, mm. Warcraft 3. We had a group of people on a team speak that would play with. We wouldn't play really with anyone outside of that group. So it became this very strange insular echo chamber whereby we had dictated certain honorable ways upon which we'll, we will play Dota. And there are these dishonorable ways that they will not be tolerated. So ganking beyond a certain point, that will not be tolerated. You will stay in your lane for X amount of time. You will not play about half the heroes on the roster because we deem them overpowered. And you will not buy this item or that item. If a Divine Reaper is dropped, you will give the player 20 seconds to pick it up again. And all this other complete nonsense that basically ruined the game entirely but we were too stupid to know that we 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 play we restricted ourselves so much that we ruined the whole concept of the game and it took playing with another group and realizing that ganking and lame rotation is part of the game and as is great hero composition to truly break out of that mindset it was awful i would never recommend imposing those ridiculous rules on yourself ever (laughs) Yeah, I think the the takeaway from all of this is don't do this. But Christian, did you do this? 
Well, I think a lot of it's been codified now into games, but as an older gentleman, as a gamer in my mid-30s of experience taste, we would do things like this where whether or not it was playing GoldenEye and don't look at the other person's screen, you know, like oh, yeah. don't, you can't peek. That's not a thing in the game, but you're saying don't do that or no playing as odd job. You can't, you're not allowed to select odd job. No one can play as him. Uh, in Halo, we would say no rockets on hang them high because that would just totally you know it was just a rush to the rockets we liked the that map played without rockets we found a lot of fun so we would have a lot of things like that led in in games but now i feel like so many games have custom you know switches that you can throw to create your own custom maps that it doesn't feel like you're creating them because the game gives you options even achievements now i remember uh geometry wars one way back in the day you know one of the first achievements for that was pacifist and it was just survive for 60 seconds or whatever it was without firing a shot and that was the type of thing that i would do with like galaga or centipede you know you would just be at the arcade and say like okay I know I'm never going to get the high score on this, so you and your buddies would see how long you could just live without doing anything. And now a lot of that's in games. I love that stuff, but yeah, it's so easy to go too far, like anything in life, right? Moderation. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, there's two parts to that, isn't there? There's the idea of the custom games and creating your own challenges, and then there's house ruling because you have to, especially with a lot of these older games, because Oddjob's a great example. In a modern game, Oddjob would have been patched within two weeks of launch. It's obvious, but in the era of cartridges where that couldn't have happened, Oddjob is a relic of a time when this company did not consider proper multiplayer balance. And as a result, you know, you don't play that character anymore. And it's accepted that you don't. For a while, I believe uh, it may still even be there was a version of Street Fighter 2 in which Akuma is banned on the competitive scene because the game was never properly designed and balanced to use Akuma. It was it impossible. Just a tree in arcades. Yeah, like, yeah, something play as this overpowered beast. <laughs> yeah, but these days, with such a focus on the competitive side of things and everything having online multiplayer, those sort of things, they don't survive longer than a couple of weeks most of the time. So those sort of house rules for necessity are no longer required. Yeah. Uh, I have a few examples of this. We used to play StarCraft and we had our, um, we had walkie talkies. We had a, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock walkie talkies. Stone Cold okay. was one, Rock was the other. And we would, uh, we, we would only communicate because we had, we were living in an apartment together. Uh, my roommate and I would play in two different rooms and we would only communicate through The Rock and the, and the Stone Cold walkie talkies to, to, cause there was no, uh, VoIP at that point. No, no. Um, and, uh, the, the other one, you know, it was great in college. College was awesome. Living in a house, I lived in a house with seven dudes. There was like one PlayStation 2 and uh, one um, – um, what was what was it? N64, I guess, would be the time period. Ga- no, yeah, not GameCube yet. N64. And we would have all these ridiculously asinine rule sets for how the games were played because there was only one controller and seven dudes. So it was like Life or Level was a big one of, you know, you get to play until you die or next level. Uh, and, or when we were playing uh, Ocarina of Time, for example – one person would be the controller. Everybody else would get to weigh in on how the puzzles were done. And one person would read all the text out loud, except for when there was like a different color because they would do like red words. And then a third person would say the the red words. It was all stupid idiot stuff to entertain ourselves. But man, those were good days. Those were good days. Thank you all for sending in your quick questions. Uh, we appreciate that. Again, if you want to send them in for next week, it's dlcfeedback at gmail.com or on our subreddit. 
Um, we're going to wrap the show up now because uh, Total Biscuit has to get going. But uh, we do have a parting gift coming up. And I think Christian and I are going to stick around a little bit and talk VR talk because I do want to talk about Rick and Morty. Um, but we'll do that after we let him go. But in the meantime, Total Biscuit, thank you so much for being here. We very much appreciate it. Absolutely, my pleasure. Great to be on a show of, I wouldn't say those from kind of a past era of games media, because I don't think that era has passed, but I think there was a, a very interesting era of games media where people like me grew up, or at least during college, were kind of watching things like Tech TV and G4 and the older school kind of podcasts. Be, let's say before the Twitch generation. <laughs> That's probably the, the best way to describe it. Before the Twitch and YouTube generation. That's I the kind of thing that I used to listen to and model my own shows on. So it's great oh. to be a part of one of those. Oh, thanks. I, I, that was the best compliment and way to call us poor. And I really old. Appreciate it. <laughs> and old. <laughs> but that's okay. We'll take before it. Was oh, don't worry, I'm getting there. No doubt. <laughs> We're, uh, we'll take it. Uh, where can people, I mean, I'm sure people know about you, but where can people keep up with your stuff online? Uh, if you want to have a look at my YouTube channel, which is primarily where the Co-Optional podcast has its VODs, which is our weekly gaming video podcast show. It's also where I do my game critiques, previews, and first impressions. You can find that all over on YouTube.com slash CynicalBrit. That is YouTube.com slash CynicalBrit. The StarCraft tournaments that I hold on a monthly basis, all of the video on demand is available on my second channel, YouTube.com slash TotalBiscuit. If you like the idea of competitive StarCraft that is explained by people who are not using a ton of jargon and has a very exciting, interesting format where one loss and that professional player from South Korea is out on his ass. Well, we have that too. That's all available on YouTube.com slash TotalBiscuit. My Twitter, I would not recommend you follow, but if you happen to be a masochist of some sort, then Twitter.com slash TotalBiscuit, and I do stream occasionally, including tomorrow for the Co-Optional Podcast at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's on Twitch.tv slash TotalBiscuit, and that's certainly something I'd love to have both of you guys on. If you ever have spare time amongst the million and one podcasts <laughs> that you seem to put out on a weekly basis, we'd love to have you on the other side of the fence. Absolutely. That'd be, That'd be awesome. We'd, we'd love it. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Oh, this week. Oh, I don't, who knows? Who knows what's happening this week? What I'm excited about is I have uh, three gigs booked and in, on the books in the calendars for when I'm in the UK at the end of June. That'll ah. be fun. So if you're, if you're out there, the best way I'll post all that stuff, Twitter or my website. Twitter is at Spicer, website ChristianSpicer.com. It'll be my first time doing stand-up in the UK. So I think that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. And then... Um, album out my newest album we're all gonna die you can find on itunes and all that stuff and uh then if you want just a little extra geeky good new goodness i do a small little patreon only feed called uh, at least 20 more minutes which you can find at patreon.com slash christian spicer and it's usually just a 20 minute deeper dive into something we kind of talk about on this show that i didn't have time to really talk about i did style over substance as one last week i really just dove into the trailers for battlefront 2 and last jedi which i know that trailer doesn't exist in Jeff's world yet. Um, <laughs> no trailers exist in my world, Christian. I'm uh, actually game. on Jeff's side on that one, I'm afraid. I don't watch trailers anymore. It ruins everything. Bravo. I'll watch, I, I watch a tone trailer, is what I call it. So if I hear that, it's kind of that tone trailer, that what first What do you teaser. need to know about Star Wars to make you go see it, Christian? Just, <laughs> you know? Well, I'm so well-versed in this director's take on the Star Wars universe that I guess nothing. I need to know what, how this is going to be handled. Is this George Lucas? You're is going this shiny? anyway. This You're pretty? going. Just go. Just see the movie. Anyway, moving on. Okay. Well, I'm, I decided I'm not. I'm no longer going to see the movies. Only watch trailers <laughs> from this point. 
forward. I don't want to be sullied, and the movies give everything away. So. <laughs> they do. The movies do give away all of the stuff that's in the trailers. Uh, yeah, and I think I said Twitter's already the best way to keep in touch. So that's it. Stand Up is an album. We're all going to die. I'll be in the UK in June. San Diego, May 9th. Uh, Austin, I think, around Labor Day. And then uh, at least 20 more minutes. Jeff, what about you? I got lots of stuff for you to listen to. If you want to hear me talk more about video games, I do a daily show on Anchor. It's just 10 minutes a day, every single day, seven days a week. You can find that at anchor.fm slash NLB for newest, latest, best. I also do a movie and television review show called uh, The Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. This week we're talking about the phenomenal Free Fire. You should really go see that movie. It's awesome. And uh, and then I also do We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show with Anthony Carboni. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. All right, guys, let's wrap up uh, this portion of the show with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Total Biscuit, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Something non-gaming related. I like to try and shoehorn wrestling into every show that I'm on when I can. Love it. Which can be tricky and sometimes obnoxious, but there (laughs) is a little go-to that I happen to have, which thankfully is now available on Netflix, which makes it a lot easier to recommend. So... Let me set the scene for you for a second. Let's say you haven't watched wrestling probably in 10, 15, 20 years. You perhaps remember the days of The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, absurd storylines, The Undertaker rising from the grave, Kane setting people on fire. The absurdity of wrestling. Well, the absurdity of wrestling is alive and well in a series headed up by some of the most unlikely people. Executive producer... Mark Burnett, who is responsible for shows like Celebrity Apprentice, Survivor, and Shark Tank, has, I believe, won 10 Emmys or some ludicrous number. And, of course, the legendary Robert Rodriguez, Hmm. of all people, behind Machete, Predators, and, of course, Dust Till Dawn, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Desperado trilogy. They decided they'd make a wrestling show. Because why not? And they decided that they would make it very much themed in the style of a Latino gangster series with grimy vignettes and strange goings on and it starts off appearing to be something of just an underground enterprise with dirty money and money laundering then dragons are involved in some way (laughs) and things get a little bit weird culminating at the end of every season with their giant tournament called aztec warfare this is a really strange but very enjoyable and different take on wrestling it's a great introduction to the art of lucha which is perhaps something that most people outside of Mexico have really not had much contact with. And if you are up for some absurd and some ludicrous storylines and insane characters, accompanied, of course, by what is essentially some of the best live stunts on television, then check out Lucha Underground. The first few series are available on Netflix. It's one hell of a show. Let me put it that way. You will not see anything quite like it. Awesome, dude. I got to check that out. I didn't know it was on Netflix. That's so great. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Another Star Wars book coming at you. Timothy Zahn's new oh, star, yes. who's done it all. Uh, mm-hmm. His new book is Thrawn. Zahn writing Thrawn, who's a fan favorite. I think a well-deserved fan favorite Star Wars character. Some of the fan favorites, <coughs> Boba Fett, you, aren't worthy of. You know, of, this of has the- to be good because uh, he was just inviting people to write. Uh, Zahn's Thrawn is a yawn. 
So it's got to be good, right? <laughs> it is no yawn. It, I'm uh, maybe 10 chapters in. It's awesome. I like, you know, well-written Star Wars books. There are certainly some that aren't as great, but I think Timothy Zahn has certainly, you know, proved his uh, his merit over the years. And I Thrawn, haven't read one that's bad on his regard. Yeah, right? You know, it's just incredible. It's hit after hit. He understands the world and the lore and how to write it, you know, when you're, you're reading it and not seeing the stuff on screen. And it's such an interesting book. Maybe, you know, it switches some way, but uh, uh, Thrawn is such a bad ombre uh but to make him the protagonist in a book where you're kind of rooting for this guy that you know you know depending on what you know about the character is going to re- just destroy <laughs> things it's it's really cool and it, it gives me hope actually that battlefront 2's protagonist could maybe actually be someone who doesn't have to be secretly good and they could do this you know dark evil person as a protagonist and make it compelling but it's the star wars thrawn book by timothy zahn I already mentioned going to see Free Fire. It did not do well at the box office. That's a crime. It is a really, really great movie. Uh, you can listen to the Slash Filmcast to hear us talk about why. Uh, but I also want to mention uh, I got a I, – I, I jumped in, guys. I upgraded my sound system in my house. I got a Sonos Playbase. The Playbase mm. is their brand new um, – alternative to a sound bar. It's a sound bar, but it has like a full base that you can like set a television on. I don't set my television on it, but I do love how it sounds. It's got that full Sonos capability of being able to like modularly add more, uh, um, speakers, so you, I can eventually have full surround by adding a co- couple other of their speakers. But it will play, you know, every sound uh, online uh, music service uh, known to man um, through the through your phone. And we'll eventually have uh, like Alexa integration, um, Amazon Echo integration. I really like it. It's, it was a huge upgrade. Not cheap. These things are very expensive, but um, I really, uh, really dig mine. So I can recommend it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We have more stuff coming up, so don't don't go away. But uh, that's the end of uh, our time with Total Biscuit. So thank you so much again, Total Biscuit and Christian Spicer for hanging out. Uh, thanks to all the folks who listened to the show live with us on uh, Twitch. We appreciate you hanging out and contributing to the show in real time. Uh, we appreciate all of you that have downloaded the show. We will be back next week with more content. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. We got bonus content coming at you, and it is one of our regular segments, Bonus VR Talk. Not Christians this week, because he doesn't think he has enough space to play this game, but he really wants to VR. You really should, dude. It's so fun. You like Rick and Morty, right? Uh, No, I hate it. I hate everything that they've ever created. I think it's a a travesty. I don't even like what it's based on. Back to the Future, it's just like, just garbage. Um, But you watched all of Rick and and Morty. I I literally, so yes, I want to play this game. It's a work of genius. It is a work of genius. The, The Rick and Morty show... It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, so this is like official Rick and Morty virtual Rickality is what it's called. Um, and it's it got all the voice actors. It's written by the right people. It's the, the right coolest. brothers? The right people, yeah. Oh, the right people. I got it. Mm-hmm. Property brothers? Um, <laughs> the coolest – the first thing you do when you you know put on your goggles and start this game is you appear in Rick's garage. And that in and of itself is amazing, dude. You're like standing in the garage, the garage where he does all his experimentation, seen it on the show. And so I've looked forever. at 
screens, um, is it polygonal? Like, how does the world capture in VR? Because it's very much, Rick and Morty's not South Park, but you know what I mean? It's like, I remember when the South Park game came to the N64 and the characters were polygonal at first and it was not quite right. It, well, it is a little of that. It's more like um, – you ever played like a Simpsons video game? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's that. It's like, oh, this 2D thing has become 3D and I can see around the corner and stuff. I mean it feels like you stepped into the cartoon. It's cool. And I they've mean, done 3D episodes certainly. Like they've 3D right. – created 3D models for their characters so it's not unheard of. But OK, cool. Yeah. I mean it's not – It's not like Papercraft though. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's it feels cool. It feels awesome that you're standing and it's all, you know, even better than playing a Simpsons video game where you're like, oh, cool, I can walk around Springfield. In this one, you're standing and everything is one to one. It's it's all proportionally the right size to you and you're standing inside it uh, because of VR. It's uh, It's really cool. And the conceit is that you have been created by Rick and you are a Morty clone. You're a disposable Morty that he created to (laughs) – you start the game and he's like, oh, good. I mean, made you Morty. Here you are. Okay. I want you to do some laundry while we go and have an adventure. This is the laundry. Do it. And you'd like – the first thing you have to do is literally like do his laundry (laughs) because he created you to be his slave. Um, and you have, you know, he hands the laundry to you. Does and you it do up- your real laundry too? So at least I'm getting something out of it. Uh- <laughs> no, 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 man. Uh, but you know, like you open the door of the, of the washing machine and you put the line. I mean, it's all physical. You're manipulating right. your little hands, but then they leave, right? Rick and Morty go through a portal and leave and they leave you in the garage. And now you can teleport around to different nodes in the garage. And it's basically job simulator or, um, accounting. It's, you know, you're, you're fiddling with things and eventually you'll find instructions and Rick has certain things that he wants you to do. And once you start doing those things, surprises happen, but it, it is, there's so many great inside jokes from the show, just the stuff on his shelves in his, you know, or on his workbench or whatever. It's just full of stuff and all the stuff is, is from the shows and you can pick all of it up and use all of it. And they all, it all does surprising things or funny, stupid things. And, um, you know, like the back of something will have a fun thing written on it that you recognize from the show. And it's just that wish fulfillment of being inside a Rick and Morty episode is already a joy. And then the the sort of puzzle of, you know, it's kind of a, it's like an escape room or something, you know, this is the game isn't there's nothing it's nothing it's not, you know, Resident Evil 7 here. It's not a big, robust AAA game. It's a small experience, but it is a delightful experience that doesn't outstay its welcome. It has tons of really funny surprises that happen. And you're given a surprising amount of freedom within that limitation of the escape room. You know, you he's got this thing called a um, – what's it called? Like a replicator or a combinator. I think it's called a combinator. So you, it, you put – there's three pads, right? You put – one thing on the first pad, a second thing on the the second pad, and then they combine and it creates a third thing that is the combination of two. And there's a bunch of crap in his house that you can like put on this combinator. And a lot of the puzzles are about using the combinator. But, you know, like for example, if you have an apple and a beer can, it creates like a metal apple. So it's fun to just sort of do that and then throw those things around. I mean, it's it's simplistic, but there's enough funny, fun stuff around that it is so worth doing. Makes you sound like uh, it sounds great, but it also I feel like I'll be like, oh come on, since I'm so deep in these two adventure games right now, I want the full adventure game version of it, right? <laughs> Where I'm creating the meat key or whatever I need to do to to open the door to do the thing. 
Yeah. I mean, it's got some of that, right? It's very, um, it's very Simon says at a certain point, like you just have to do what you find little clues and you just have to do them. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not going to, you know, um, reinvent the wheel in any way, but it's still just so great. And it's cool that an IP as awesome as Rick and Morty is doing this in VR and, and, and it makes fun of VR a lot and it makes fun of itself. And there's a, there's a point where you can make a, um, Mr. Me seeks like me and he'll like mimic all your actions. So you can like throw him somewhere. And then if you look over like he's doing what your hands and head are doing, it's, it's just delightful, dude. It's so good. I feel like that's kind of how, you know, VR is best for, for a lot of things that I like are, you know, it's like, oh, they're not full AAA games or just experiences. I'm okay with that. I'm not saying I don't want, like, there's rumors there might be a, a bigger, you know, VR experience in Battlefront 2, and I certainly would love that. But oh, Batman so Arkham VR was a great experience. And this, to, just to put you in that world, it's these little experiences like this that, that prove the idea that VR itself is the killer app, uh, and not the killer app, right? Like, it doesn't yeah. need, uncharted five uh to to sell the thing it's that you can do this thing for two hours and have it be so fun that that alone justifies the thing yeah global reset in the chat agrees he said the humor is all there from the show and he loved it um and i totally agree with you and by the way batman comes out tomorrow i know for vive and oculus what did you play rick and morty on uh uh, vive okay because it's both right i think it's both it's both yeah okay but i played it on vive because i knew it was room scale and and i figured it would be better to do have it on the full Vive room scale. Yeah. Room scale. Yep. Um, it's delightful. And it, I can see your worry about it taking up a lot of room because there is a lot of – there are these – you can't teleport anywhere you want. You know, a lot of games you just point at the ground and teleport to that spot. This one, you have to – there's like these nodes that you can teleport. And within the node, you move around quite a bit. So it does take a little bit of room, but – um, I think yeah, I just read a couple of reviews that where people said like it takes more room than raw data or Robo Recall, and I can play both of those, but I definitely you know hit things when I <laughs> let myself go. Well, I so. still have gotten to the point now where I like tentatively move my arm forward, even when I feel like I've got plenty of room. I'm not going to just jut my arm forward yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have the the you know the safety wall on or whatever why but, but no, i have i have to have it off it's only it shows up on the floor because i have it on to show everywhere um uh, it's always on like that's how small my space is you uh, know so i'm constantly in that lawnmower man grid world right. so i only have it marked on the floor so if i look down i can kind of see where i am but otherwise i'm you know i'm punching my tv <laughs> you've yeah. been in the space it's a small space so it is yeah yeah i get it i get it um but i think you should still try it because it's so fun and well, it's only two be- hours so Put your kid down for a nap and invite me over, dude. And my friend who also lives out there just bought an awesome, I won't say who it is, but he bought, I think it's a 95 or 96 911, the last uh, year of air-cooled. It only has like 20,000 original miles on it. Anyway, what I'm saying is I'm willing to drive out to your neck of the woods. (laughs) I missed all that last stuff because I kind of nodded off there a little bit. But VR, I'm excited to do. <laughs> well, picture picture a scorching red VR headset yeah. that was a, it's a collector's edition that only has uh, four hours of eyes on use so far. Oh wow, that sounds awesome! Does it have cool <laughs> software? Yeah, it's it's a it's a six speed. I mean, a six game manual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for translating into my language for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Um, I, thought it was a, I thought it was great having Total Biscuit on. He's, he's a good guy. I appreciated that. Uh, all right. 
that's it for the bonus content. I just wanted to talk about that. I played another uh, virtual reality game, but the the embargo doesn't come up until 7 a.m. tomorrow. So I can't talk about it yet. Well, where could people hear daily content from you? Uh, my anchor show called Newest, Latest, Best. I'll definitely be talking about that tomorrow. And that's anchor.fm slash NLB. All right, guys. Have a good one.